Welcome back to another episode of NFT Catcher Podcast. We'd like to remind everybody that nothing on the show is meant as financial advice, and to please do your own research. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Now the subject is NFT. They're known as non-fungible tokens, or NFTs. NFTs are floating in popularity. This is a technology that will forever change the way people interact. So it is happening whether you understand it and like it or not. This phenomenon is moving the digital You have now joined Jenny from the blockchain and Michael Keane on the NFT Catcher Podcast. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the NFT Catcher Podcast with me, Jenny from the Blockchain, and my co-host, Michael Keen. For today's interview, we actually have another educational episode for you guys. I know you guys have really been enjoying our educational episodes, and today we have Ellie, who is an intellectual property lawyer um, in Web3. Ellie, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Lovely to be here. Really happy, actually. Yes. to you guys for a while. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And we were just saying before we started recording um, that we ran into each other at VCon. We didn't even know it. And then uh, Belle, Belle NFT, she, I ran into her and, and she was like, oh, you got to meet Eliana. And then we're like, wait a minute, you're coming on the pod soon. <laughs> we already had it scheduled. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, small always world. great. Yeah, small world. Always great to meet people in person. And, you know, Michael, how's your day going? It's going well. I have like six kids swimming in the pool right outside my office. I've had a nice day, though. The weather is beautiful. Oh, yeah. Beautiful day in Florida. It's nice here in Texas, too. Is it good? Yeah. So, okay. I have so many questions, but let's start out by finding out how you got into Web3. Yes, of course. So um, I actually got started in NFTs as a collector. So kind of the pathway of, you know, started buying some ETH and then some um, crypto, got into crypto from there, jumped into NFTs and I went in a rabbit hole and ended up actually modding for one of the discords. I was actually the Nifty portal. So the um, morning Nifty alpha show that you guys hear in the mornings. Yeah, with Nick and Peel that, but before they started, um, they had, the discord and they had before their, their actual project they had this small alpha group so i started modding with it for that discord and got really into just nft trading and buying a bunch of jpegs and people realized i was an attorney and i started getting all kinds of questions about ip and then the whole ip subject kind of just blew up eventually and then i kind of just transitioned full-time into web3 cases so i was actually working for the uh, patent and trademark office. So I was a trademark attorney for the USPTO, so the United States Patent and Trademark Office. And from there, I transitioned to working for a small firm and then got picked up by a larger firm when they realized I had an expertise in the Web3 space. And um, I think most firms are kind of expanding in that area. So that's how I transitioned into full-time, just kind of an expert in the Web3 intersection and IP. I love that. And can you just explain to us what it means to be an intellectual property lawyer? Of course. So um, I'll say this. There's the hard IP side, which is more of the patent side. So you have to have a technical background. And then there's the softer IP side, which is the copyrights, trademarks, product publicity, and all adjacent rights. So trade secrets, privacy, etc. So that's what I practice. I practice on the trademarks and copyright side. And my day-to-day practice is basically... Uh, anything from advising, from starting a 
your own startup and trying to protect your brand and IP to enforcement. So anything you received a cease and desist letter to stop using someone else's or alleged someone else's allegedly someone else's own trademark or copyright. So I do some of that enforcement as well and defense as well. So yeah, that, that's basically what it means. Their focus is in Web3. So I co-lead our firm's metaverse and IP. So anything that's IP in the metaverse, I kind of um, champion those those causes. And we try to put on programming for different audiences to understand IP and the intersection with Web3 and the metaverse. This is kind of random, but I actually got a season desist letter from um, Coachella one time, like five years ago. Because my sister and I, we had a glitter company and my sister was buying up all these different domains and she bought up, I think it was like CoachellaGlitters.com or something. And they were like, yeah, you cannot like use. And we linked it to our site. Like that was the problem. Um, And they're like, yeah, you cannot do that. And we're like, oh, <laughs> oops. Yeah. Happens a lot more than you think. I, we, we send a lot of those, not that say them happy to send those but it's um, yeah. sometimes it's just people who don't really yeah have an understanding what's being registered or not but yeah those those get, are quite popular right now in the web3 space as well right yeah i am very curious because i feel like you know a lot of people they just feel like you know web3 is kind of like the wild wild west and there's like no laws out here right and i'm 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 very curious on what is something or maybe even a couple things that you feel like most people don't know that they're doing wrong that can later come and, and you know, bite them in the butt. So I'll say three main things. The first one is not having an incorporated organization behind whatever project they're launching. So from the founder side, I've seen a lot of projects that they just have very unorganized uh, organizations that are unincorporated. So kind of just protecting yourselves. And that's not even IP, that's more of a, just general advice. Again, this is not legal advice, but those are things that I've seen just from experience. Um, that's one thing. And the second thing would be um, on the trademark and specifically AP side, just using you. Maybe someone got inspiration from an existing brand, like I don't know Kellogg's or you know the Count Dracula or whatever you call it, the cereal, and then they decided to launch a you know a vampire kind of akin similar project and then they don't realize that some of those things are actually trademarks so even the images could be the trademark um and then the copyright itself so the difference between the trademark the trademark is the brand so basically it alludes to the source of the of a specific good or service and then the copyright which is just the images themselves or anything that's in a tangible medium which normally in the nft space tend to be those images that tend to be copyrighted so then you, you get inspiration from a uh an existing brand and then they start using it as an nft or an association with the nft and then that becomes an issue and then the last one that i've seen in most more so lately cyber squatting so anything using kind of like what happened to you with the coachella domain so using domains that you think are clever because they may you know be creative and associated to a specific brand an existing brand but that that may actually be a trademark that has to register and then the domain may actually be an infringement and cyber squatting, considered potentially cyber squatting. So those three things. <laughs> so if somebody had like if they registered like Miller Light Beer dot ETH, you know, the ENS, like could they come after them for that? Or how, like what would they do in that in that case? It's a business decision for the company. Um so 
uh, I work for a firm that represents three large companies. It's mostly a business decision. So at that point, it's are they using the the actual domain or are you, they using it just to? It depends on the way they're using it or whether the company actually wants to acquire that asset. But in short, yes, they could because they do have trademarks that are registered for M- Miller Lights and the um, some the similar marks. So they could potentially go after them. Yeah, interesting. Michael, really, really interesting stuff so far. I wanted to know what uh, what have been some landmark cases that we should know about with respect to like IP and Web3. I think the Yuga Rider Rips one might be the most famous, but I'd love to hear what cases are out there that you think have been really important. So I think the ones that we hear about the most have been the most important. So the Hermes case with Metaverkins. That one kind of just really emphasizes that no matter whether you have a trademark that is in the real world and it's a handbag or whatever, real good, and then you make that an NFT, would claim it's charity or not, it's a fact-specific decision. But for the most part, that the, the protection may or may likely be extended to the metaverse, so to the NFT space. Um, so that will be one. And then, of course, Rider Rips and, and Yuga, which I think we may be seeing some appeals filed soon or may have been filed already by the time this podcast comes out. But they seem to be very litigious and they just raised a number of funds recently, Polly specifically, which mm. may likely be for some legal fees, if, if at least as the presumptions. But um, so we may see some appeal on that on that note. But the writer rips and yuga Labs is very specifically important in the trademark side because it does tells us at least how judges are looking at some of these trademark cases and infringement where you have two very well two infringing uses or allegedly infringing uses and not really touching on the copyright side but um how they're going to be treated in the future with other infringement that that gives us some kind of uh, clarity as well uh, and then we have Nike and StockX, but Nike and StockX hasn't really done much since last I heard the judge was kind of yelling at both parties for not producing mm. the evidence. They kind of were just shielding evidence from each other. So, um, but the Nike StockX is another trademark case. And I don't think that the Yuga case or the Hermes case, case helped in this case StockX, but uh, they seem to be or attempting to settle at least. So those are the three main ones. I think there's some Web2 cases that may implicate or may have some impact on Web3. But for the most part, the Web3 specific cases have been those three. There's a few other ones for writer publicity, which is, I think, personally a little bit more interesting if you're using someone else's images. But I haven't seen as much on that side um, lately. Interesting. And do you know about... uh... Chris Kashtanova, AI yes, artist. Chris. Yeah. Yes. I met her in person. Yeah. She's awesome. Oh, I'm awesome. Oh, she is awesome. We had her on a couple months ago now, I guess, at this point. Um, for anyone that doesn't know, AI artist, innovator, teacher, really awesome. Um, and she created a comic book totally using AI, didn't hide it, put Mid Journey right on the cover, applied for her copyright, got it. And then somebody complained, I think. And now they're trying to figure out if it can be copyrighted and it's a whole, that's kind of a, a groundbreaking. What do you know about that? If you're familiar? Yeah. So I, I actually, I met Christina. She's amazing. And uh, well, they are an amazing individual. I know she, they, uh, she corrected me one time and I keep saying it's hard yeah. to get used to from that angle. The AI aspect of, of IP is really fascinating. 
I find it quite the most important subject matter right now because mm. there's just even more, much more gray area than the NT and Web3 metaverse space. Uh, for Christina or Castanova, uh, she did make uh, create this comic book and they, she received the registration, then it came back to the USPTO, the um, copyright office, and they they rescinded that and then issued a new registration for the. So she received uh, protection over the the combination of all the all the items that were in the that make up the comic book. So basically, the writing, the literary ele- elements, and then the images that were created with with Mid Journey were the images that had to be disclaimed. So those did not receive protection. So they go into a public domain. So I know they are not intending to appeal, as I heard, but they are to put that to take that to the federal courts. But they um they did file for new copyright registrations for something that Christina actually drew herself and then used AI on top of the actual hand-drawn items that she drew. And then she filed for the, um, or her attorney filed for those framework um, copyright registrations. And then um, those we have not heard about yet, but it's kind of an interesting use case because it's, use of the actual hand creation. So there's human element there, the human authorship that the copyright office does, says that is the only subject that, or you need to have human authorship in order to get a copyright registration. But um, Christina actually drew those elements and then used AI on top of it to kind of create the background and then supplement. Mm. So the coloring um, and made it kind of 3D, it's actually pretty cool. I, I looked at it, she kind of posted it on um, Twitter and other accounts. And from that angle, we don't know how much human authorship will be required. So there's not a real clear guideline other than, you know, anything that's using AI, but they don't really particularly say when both merge, how much is, how do you separate both? And we don't know if they're even kind of checking as to whether you actually use AI in the process of creating any image that you submit in, in the copyright application. So it's quite interesting. We, from the, from my practice, we've had a bit of a, a delay, I would say they take normally less time to examine um, anything that's visual arts or illustrations, but they've had a few that, um, examiners that have actually come back with questions as to whether we used AI or, or clients used AI in the process, which is not the usual. They usually kind of just, what are we, you put in the application, it's kind of if if you used AI, we would have disclosed it at the beginning, but we, mm-hmm. we didn't. So, um, but lately they've came back with either questions or they've delayed the process. So that the impact of that case was pretty notorious. And then they, their guidance that they issued as far as the level of human authorship was the only the main requirement. So yeah, it's been a interesting few months in the AI yeah. and IP space. They're going to be inundated with AI. Are, are the copyright office, aren't they? I mean, it's going to probably be crazy. Yeah, um, I, I think that they've had a lot of pushback on the guidance that they mm-hmm. issued. And then they're hosting listening sessions. So right now they've had, I think they, they separated or they, they compared, uh, well, they divided the sessions into um, music and then they had visual works, they had audiovisual works, okay. and then they had, um, so they, they had practitioners come up to their listening sessions and voice their opinions as to how they should be treating these AI works. But it's really interesting. I find it fascinating. It's very nerdy, but I think that the gray areas where it kind of just gives you like that puzzle piece that you have to kind of solve and it's kind of exciting. 
Nice. You're, yeah, you're like a fountain of knowledge. And so I have <laughs> I have another question. Something that's happening right now, it, you know, it's kind of the trending thing to do. People are posting their wallet addresses on Twitter and kind of either just, I guess, kind of asking for donations. Or, oh, yes. You know, I forgot. Like, I forgot. Michaelkeen.e. <laughs> if anybody wants to send money, there's so a coin, there's a coin yeah. dropping. Sometime soon. Wink, I have wink. a question about coins too. Just but, start but, sending but, some money. That's, I'll go back to Jenny. But yeah, I I mean, so it's like, you know, I mean, recently we saw someone that's like, hey, I'm trying to, you know, raise money for an iPhone and a bunch of people sent them money. Uh, some people just, you know, just, oh, hey, let me put my wallet address out there. And, you know, people are sending them money. I'm just curious if there's any like repercussions that could come from people doing that. That's a very interesting question because we actually, there's a group of us, a fraternity that are kind of closed in the space. It's a very small world in the legal Web3 space. And we were just discussing this because this all started with Holly, who's we all know it's associated with the Rider Ribs case and the Get Nothing Daddies or something along those lines. Uh, I think he's up to a million now, which is incredible. And we were talking about that. And one, the first thing that comes to mind is, is you got to pay taxes on those. <laughs> and that's number one. <laughs> There's questions as to how that would be considered either is that a gift or is it actual a gain? Um, he's not offering anything for sale. So that's number one is how is this going to be treated by the IRS is one question. The second question, and again, this is all gray area, so I'm not, I'm not, Technically, giving you guys answers is more questions that I we are practitioners are kind of solving as we go along. The second one is, um, so he's not really, um, most people are not really offering anything in exchange. I think the Ben Daddy was different in, in that he actually had a token drop. So there were some promises made, allegedly or potentially could be construed as promises. But with the Poly case and then the rest of the people was just posting their that ETH on Twitter, there's really not promises being made. It's kind of just like send money here. Um, it's not a charity. So um, I think yesterday I posted some of the, the the agency that's usually in charge of anything that's advertising and promotions is the Federal Trade Commission, so FTC. And they have guidance as far as like charity and fundraising. And then there was the other item that was taking most of the attention yesterday from Twitter was that that Penguin's charity situation where there was a charity that was not really a charity and it was kind of a fake one. So it was this fraudulent kind of asking for um, charity donations. So that has more grounds to be a fraud case uh, because they were kind of misrepresenting that they were a charity and the FCC has issued specific guidance as far as, as far as like charity fraud. But when it comes to just asking for money, I mean, I could ask for money right now. I'm not that that would create a client attorney relationship. But if I wasn't an attorney and I just asked for money, it would just technically be a gift, arguably. So um, I don't know that there will be any repercussions for any of these people asking for money unless they're making promises and not delivering them. Michael Keane, no promises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean... And I think, you know, it's like, it's a choice, right? If you're, if you're saying, Hey, here's my wallet address. If you want to send money, it's like, okay, people are choosing whether they want to send money or not. And, you know, not really expecting anything in return, which brings me to my next question about people sending money to an address, expecting something in return. Basically, you know, there's been a lot of, and it's such an interesting way that people are like launching their tokens, but basically 
they're putting out a wallet address and saying, hey, look, if you send, which, you know, Ben Dottie is kind of the main person that has been doing this. If you send money to this address, I will send, you know, you're basically part of the pre-sale for my token that I'm launching. And then, you know, I'll send you this token. But it, it's really also weird because you can't send it from like an exchange because then there's no way to send the token to the wallet address from there. Like, I don't know. It's just all this complicated stuff. And then he launched, he's like on his third token right now. <laughs> so um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm curious about that too. Like, what's your take on people launching their own shit coins? And also like, what happens if you launch a coin and you're doxxed and you live in the US as well? Because we saw that with uh, uh, Baddies something who had done that um, with like her jugs token bitcoin yeah i've seen that happen lately a lot with ship coins it's like ship coin season right now so everyone's launching their own ship coin just kind of we're going back to like nft season from like eth for like 2021 and now it's ship coin season and everyone wants to launch a token but i think that for the most part the first thing that i notice on those is again the kind of the promotional and advertising side of things so how are they promoting this are they making those promises and what are they promising in, in exchange because that kind of creates a contractual kind of sort of relationship so i don't know how ben has not gotten in trouble to be quite honest with you just being on his third point there is so many things that could have and could go wrong still from the legal side for him and i know there's a, a few other of my peers who have posted and have gotten blocked by him because they've said that what he's doing is not legal but the token stuff is just it's interesting because once it goes on on ether scan or whatever chain you're using it it's kind of uh the the actual contract whatever you name it i don't know from the technical side whether that could be removed so let's say for example you have a trademark you use it and then you put you know, like Nike token or whatever, and then you put that on, on the chain, and uh, well, I guess in the whatever blockchain you use. So like it goes on chain and goes on the contract name and the token name. So can that be later taken down, especially if the contract gets deprecated afterwards? So I think I have more questions from the technical side when it comes to the tokens because if there was to be enforcement, as far as you know, there was fraud or there's an infringement from the IP side. How are they going to enforce or take those things down? And how are they going to compensate anyone that sent ETH from which wallets? And how are they going to, I guess, make people whole if they were actually damaged by the promises that quote unquote were made by people like Ben um, and launchers of tokens? But yeah, I think that we have yet to see an actual legal enforcement of this, but it, it's just a matter of time before someone actually sends um, an actual or starts an actual lawsuit but there was an attorney who filed or sent season season's letter to ben i don't know if you guys saw it on twitter um mike i think mike i forget his last name but he sent ben a season season's letter saying that he should not be doing that he actually used very strong language uh in his season season's letter so all the attorneys were like oh my gosh he's actually like cursing in an illegal letter but it was it was entertaining at first but he hasn't really followed through with it, any losses, but it's just a matter of time of people getting a hold of, okay, like I got damaged, I was made these promises and they didn't deliver. I mean, even Shaq got um, sued for his NFT project Astral. So anyone at this point is fair game to get a lawsuit. Why did Shaq get sued? 
Do you remember Astros like back in the last? I don't. I think Michael does. I remember. I remember he was on Rug Radio, and I remember him talk. He was like saying all the buzzwords, the community, and this and that. I remember. Yeah, he got sued on multiple grounds. I think uh, the one ground that was kind of interesting is he got sued or violation of securities. This is a private cause of action, so it wasn't an actual agency suing him. It was a representative, so a class action lawsuit, basically, and saying that he violated securities laws because of those promises that he made, because apparently some of the team was making some comments uh, about um, they would not stop until the price went up and some other kind of videos that kind of could have been misconstrued as creating that expectation on people who would purchase this NFTs to make a profit out of them. So he got sued on the um, violation of security laws. And then I think it was also unfair practices under Virginia and Florida law. So again, it has to do with how you market those those um, the projects. So the way he he marketed those, making promises that he could not deliver, is kind of what got him into this trouble, I guess. Yeah. So that happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Michael, go ahead. You see, you want to say something? No, I was going to say, how can you argue with the floor price at literally zero? I mean, how can you? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think the I don't know what people are. I don't know what people are upset about. Yeah, the person that sued him actually had like a, the complaint was actually very funny because he had, you could tell he was just really heady at one point. He was just upset that he invested so many in, into so many of the NFTs. So he actually listed only the he has he had purchased by price, by floor price from Shaq. So in the fact that they all went to zero, I think it's kind of where he, that was his, the trigger point. So and people have gone to his wallet and seen what he actually owns. So he actually had like some pretty good NFTs, I guess, blue chips, but he listed all the NFTs he had purchased from Shaq, which was interesting. Yeah, that is very interesting. I, I think, um, and you know, everything always takes time. Like right now in Web3, like we're kind of in the shit coin cycle, as you're saying, but it's like, you know, we're, we're just now, we're kind of recently starting to see like lawsuits and stuff happening with NFT projects. And so, yeah, you, you said, you know, that you haven't really seen too much coin uh, lawsuits, I guess, but you know, I guess that's coming, right? Because because things take time. Really, you just need people to get emotional and upset and lose money and feel like I guess feel like they need to hold somebody responsible that's not themselves. Even though at the end of the day, <laughs> you really can only blame yourself, guys. But you know, no, nobody really wants to be accountable. So, I I mean, I agree with you. I think it's it's developing as we speak. I think the next way we see, I I, I saw it from the um. From the promotional aspects, and I, I think that the 2021 spaces that I participated in, I mentioned the FTC is coming. Like eventually, the FTC is going to get a hold of Twitter promotionals and the lack of disclosure of. There's so many influencers, and they don't disclose what they get for free. I, I always said it. I'm like the FTC is going to get a hold of all this going on in the FT in the NFT space and the Web3 space, and they're going to start enforcing. But now we're starting to see it, and it's 2023. So they, they work a little slower, but it's moving. And I think that next year it might actually be more complicated because now we have like ordinals and like we're going into ordinal season. It's kind of like the very early stages of ordinal season and the inscriptions are actually much harder from a technical standpoint to be removed. If at all, they cannot take those down. So if you go into the inscription page, you see a lot of, and I, and I foresee this, this may actually age well, 
but I foresee a lot of issues with writer publicity in the future because a lot of the inscriptions, if you go on the web page for those, you see images of people. So like people who get inscribed into this that. So the ordinals, let's imagine that someone who did not consent to a photograph being up there or some foul situation get placed on this uh, inscriptions, they cannot take that down. So how, from the technical standpoint, that may be a very big deal. So yeah, I, I think writer publicity is one of those overlooked IP issues that will be coming in the next year or so will be pretty big. That's so crazy to think about. Like if somebody, yeah, inscribes your picture or like mints your picture on the blockchain, but then yeah, if it, if it was an or, ordinal, inscribes it. And then, yeah, how the heck do you take that down? Like that's a permanent... <laughs> That's just so crazy to think about. Yeah, I think it's easier with at least enforcement because you have the, you know, IPFS is, or are we, you still have like an, a URL that you, or a URI that points or a URL that points to the actual images and you could change that. I, I mean, ideally you have an unlocked metadata contract, but yeah, if you can't, if it's immutable, like Bitcoin, NFTs and SATs and ordinals, then how do you actually enforce it? So very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. In your in your Twitter bio, it says AI and Web3. And then I was kind of scrolling through your Twitter and I came across that image of like a faked image of someone said that there was an explosion at the Pentagon and they were trying to like manipulate the markets. And the tweet that you retweeted said there kind of needs to be boundaries and we need to think about what we're doing. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that. How do you think? Is it possible to ratchet it in? What do we need to do? What are you worried about? Um, disclosures. I'm very pro AI. So I love all the development with AI. I think everyone should have access to the tools. I think that disclosures should be required for things like news. Like if you're disseminating news, um, you should be required to disclose where you got the images from. But it's hard with social media becoming the news outlet of choice nowadays. But I still think that social media platforms should require if it's something that's newsworthy or considered newsworthy, like that image, it should have been disclosed that, you know, this was made by AI or there should be some sort of filter, which I'm sure we'll get to the point where we have the technology that it could it could actually um, abstract whether the images were have any notions of, of being created with AI. So having those tools available to platforms, I think would be ideal for social media. I think that my only concern is social media and the spreading of misinformation and fear. And I think that there's a lot more fear about AI because of this. And I think if we didn't have any issues with this kind of misinformation being spread, then we wouldn't have the fear of AI that we have now. But I'm very pro-AI. I don't think that the tools should be, I don't think that we should stop at, uh, at allowing the databases to kind of Yes, I think there should be some choices as far as what information you should allow those databases to get. So like the open data databases that actually are being used to teach the models. But from the standpoint of the uh, similar to what the UK is doing, I would I would think that there should be some fair use for those um, the databases that are using actual information to inform or to educate some models that would be useful for anyone, if that makes any sense. I know it's kind of like a way in the circle, but there's countries that are much more advanced of from where we are as far as allowing use of information to train tools like this. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. So like when you were talking about at the beginning with they should, you know, they need to disclose what the photos. So someone can put out a real news story, but a sensationalized photo 
that's not real to dramatize it maybe and things like that. I mean, I know people, is that, is that kind of what you meant? Is that, and, and those images should be disclosed. I think right? that the source of the images or the fact that they were made with AI, I, I think mm-hmm. so. I mean, that, that picture spread within, I don't know, an hour or two. And right. if that got to the wrong people, you know, like, and it could even be worse. I mean, I think that there's a yeah. lot of, Oh, it's going to be worse. Yeah. No, I there's so going to be, yeah. yeah. There's going to be videos coming out of like other world leaders declaring war on the United States, you know, like things like that, like weird, like there's going to be all kinds of weird videos like that popping up. Yeah, I, get, I mean, I agree. Yeah, 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 there's also like that issue with revenge porn that a lot of countries are dealing with. I think India is one of the main ones that I read about recently that's dealing with a lot of issues with people not consenting to user images and then they get actual videos and images created of their faces and the and into so then that that's a different angle but it's still very problematic i mean that's actually all the questions that i had the only other the only other question i had so you're from colombia i was born there yes you were born in colombia the only reason i ask is because i've traveled there i've been to medellin for i was there for like 10 days and then went with my wife to cartagena on our (laughs) fifth anniversary and that was really nice. Love, uh, love Colombia. Do you? Yeah, I was born in Bogota, so I was born in the actual okay. cold. Yeah, but I moved mm-hmm. to about age of fourteen. So, oh wow. Yeah, so it, it, it's it's nice. been a yeah. My family's still there, so we travel often when we can. But I love Medellin. That's like my favorite place. Yeah, Medellin. It's incredible. It's perfect. Yeah, people need people need to know that. Like, it's three and a half hours from Miami. It's closer than L.A. and Vegas. And it's, yeah, three and a half hours Miami. It's a city of eternal spring. It's in the most beautiful valley, the most beautiful location, the best food. It's well-priced. Like, hop on a flight down there. Spirit Airlines Airlines flies. (laughs) Yeah, it is. You can go any time of year. Um, I spent I spent a while there. I loved it. Went to, like, you know, went to the Menorista and the Majorista. You probably (laughs) know those markets. Yeah, I loved it. Love that city. There's yeah. a lot of expats there. There's a, a, a pretty big group of uh, crypto crypto natives that moved out there too. Oh, really? Yeah, they have like, a, hmm. I think it's on Monday, they have like meetups and stuff, like just expats that just live there. Oh, and, wow. You know, benefits <laughs> getting to live there, trading crypto and just kind of launching projects from there. But yeah, it's, it's a growing area for the US as well. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I like really it. really cool. It's a great city, really good. That that train that goes right through the middle, the public transportation, then the 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 uh what do they call them? The teleferricos to take you up the mountain. <laughs> yes, that yes the, that's really cool. Yeah. 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 And it's well priced. <laughs> got good food. I feel like I'm advertising for Colombia right now. <laughs> bande, bande, bandeja paisa. You go and you order the bandeja paisa, right? That's all you yeah, need. Yeah, the food is great. Yeah. I mean yeah, yeah. doesn't get better than that. I'm not sponsored no. by any <laughs> I should be. The um, Medellin travel. Uh, <laughs> they should sponsor us. Um, yeah. yeah. It's amazing down there. People like, seriously, it's such an easy trip. You just hop on a flight. I mean, it's it's close and awesome down there. Yeah, I go. I go so that they can. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. Why don't we uh, fire up Gas Wars? Let's Gas Wars. That's yeah, our segment. We'll ask you each. Uh, we'll go back and forth and ask you like kind of a rapid fire question. And you can just answer whatever comes to your mind. Five questions each, quick rapid fire, and yeah, yeah let's do it. 
You go for it. <laughs> Actually, tying into the last thing we just talked about, what's your dream country to visit? Mm. Um, I've been to Japan, but I would love to be there even more times. I visit more times. Yeah, I love Japan. I'm a big anime Same. fan. So mm. nice. Nice. What was your first job? My first job. Um, that's a tough one. Um, I used to, yeah. So I think I created my own job, I guess. My grandma had a store in Columbia. She used to, it's like a bookstore. She sold like just paper Mm. things and like book notebooks and stuff. And I, um, I tried to sell things on my own through her store. So I created like silly putty with like the, did you, you know how you used to make it with like water and whatever. Mm -hmm. So I put them in little bottles and I try to sell them. (laughs) So I was trying to hustle from an early age. (laughs) Amazing. Like a true entrepreneur. Oh, I was like um, eight. I don't know what I was doing. Jeez. That's amazing. What's your favorite drink? So I don't drink alcohol, but I drink a lot of sparkling water. A lot of uh, it. LaCroix? LaCroix, yeah. <laughs> I'm ashamed to say I'm a LaCroix fan, yes. <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with LaCroix. <laughs> LaCroix is good. I like LaCroix. Uh, I know it's a bougie drink, but it's, um, it's all over my fridge. <laughs> Uh, favorite movie? Oh, Wedding Crashers. Nice. That's a good one. Who's your favorite mu- musical artist? Oh, that's a tough one. I would say it's a it's an international artist. It's called Kitty. He's called Kitty. He is hmm. um, he sings like uh, Nigerian music, I think. So, wow. yeah, I, I like to have some weird taste on Afrobeats and Afropop from like really odd countries. Or not all countries, but just not common in the U.S. <laughs> That's cool. Kitty. K-I-T-T-Y? D-I. Oh. Yes. K-I-D-I. Yeah. It's probably the U.S. Awesome. Probably nobody knows about him. What is something you're excited for in 2023? What am I excited for? So, okay. This is going to sound really nerdy, but there's actually in September a toy convention. And I really want to go to that toy convention. Um, mm-hmm. I know it sounds really silly, but it's, it's not I, at all. It's not I at see all. The merger of toys and NFTs and Web three, um, yeah. and I really want to go to it. Um, so is yeah. it like Decon or something like that? It's 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 literally the toy industry conference, and it's in New York mm. in September. So it's over a real weekend. So I'm I'm making a trip out there just by myself. It has nothing to do with work, but I, I think it'll be a really cool experience. I think for even for any lawyer. Um, there's, I see a merger between NFTs and toys and Web3 and I see the potential there. So I'm going to go explore. I'm a kid that never grew up, still watch anime. So like, uh, some of those things. So yeah, that's what I'm excited for. That's fun. Do you know, do you know Mumbat? Do you know Mumbat, the artist Mumbat? I do. Yeah, she'll probably be there. She's a good friend of the show. Okay. She, she does her toys and she's usually at those conferences and she, she lives around there. So. Oh wow! Okay, cool. Yeah, yep. I didn't, yeah should... that's awesome. I may actually yeah, like cool. reach out. Yeah. All right. That was my question, Jenny. Number four. Uh, what's your favorite social media platform? I, would, I hate to say Twitter, but it's probably Twitter, just because I've made so many friends through Twitter. Yeah, some of my closest Web three friends are mm. from Twitter. So, yeah. Makes cool. sense. Um, if you could spend a day in someone else's shoes, who would they be? Whoa! That's I'm going deep one. this that week. Was good. I, uh, that was good. <laughs> I don't think I would want to step into anyone else's shoes, but if I had to choose, 
Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm going to go with like my inspiration, which will be like Michelle Obama. <laughs> she used to be a lawyer. She actually, she actually practiced in the advertising and marketing law space. So kind of an intersection with IP. So I would say her. Yeah, that would be cool. the only, <laughs> only thing I could think of. Nice. nice. All right. Yeah. Last question. Oh, wait. Did I just? Yeah. Oh no, you just asked. Like, yeah. My last question. It, it, it's not really that deep, but who's your favorite follow on Twitter right now? My favorite follow on Twitter right now, I would say. So I, I got into ordinals recently, big time. So Udi from like the wizard, yeah, Tabro mm-hmm. Wizards. Um, I would say that's been my <laughs> my latest. The first thing I could think of because um, he's been putting out a lot of content about ordinals too. So sweet. Awesome. And knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? Believe in yourself. Imposter syndrome is real. Never goes away. Mm-hmm. So start kind of self-talking to yourself early on. So believing yourself will be it. Beautiful. Sweet. All right. Well, there we go. That That's our Gas Wars segment. Eliana, thank you so much for joining us on the pod today. We learned so much. Hopefully everybody tuning in learns so much from this. Um, yeah, we appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I know it's a, it's a dense subject that I usually talk about, but hopefully it was a little fun. <laughs> yes, it definitely was. Um, and yeah, we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to the NFT Catcher Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and learned something new about the exciting world of NFTs. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you really love what you're hearing, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite platform. If you want to stay up to date with the latest news and insights from the NFT space, be sure to follow us on all the socials at NFT Catcher Pod. You can follow Jennifer at Jennifer underscore pseudo and Michael at NFTicket. I'm your producer, Andy, and I'm at AJC254. Our theme songs by It's Just Los. We always appreciate your feedback and support, which helps us reach more people and bring you informative and engaging content about NFTs. We look forward to bringing you more great NFT content in future episodes. Thanks for listening. Peace. <laughs>